Good morning, everybody. Welcome to our worship gathering. Uh, it's just good to be together. Good to see all of you beautiful people here this morning. Um, I really hope, and by beautiful people, I mean all of you. You are all beautiful. Um, I really hope that as we gather this morning, that you have a sense of joy. Um, as Glenn has already been talking about, I hope that you uh, have joy because God has been a part of your life all week. I hope you have joy from getting to experience this amazing gift of life with God, whether it's in the most mundane things imaginable, um, cleaning floors, uh, taking care of others, doing your job, driving to the store, whatever it is, I, I hope you are filled, like that your days, that your moments are filled with the awareness of God's love, God's presence for you. This is the way we are meant to live. And, um, and I think when that becomes our awareness, when, when we are moment by moment aware of God's presence in our lives, it, it, joy overflows. That, that God's Spirit, um, one of the gifts that the Spirit gives us is this joy that just sort of wells up inside of us, even when life isn't going all that well. I've been sick um, the last couple of days. I, I got hit by a bug. Thank you, kids, going back to school. Um, my immune system is not what it once was, apparently. I don't have the immune system of a seven-year-old anymore. But, um, but I think it is significant, so pardon my voice and all of that, maybe coughing. But talking about joy, even in the middle of not feeling all that well, uh, because it's one of the things the people of faith do. There, there are plenty of things in this world to lament. And next week, we're actually going to talk about lament. And by the way, next week, the song that we're going to be talking about is my favorite song of all four of these. I'm saved the best for last, in my opinion. So skip the state fair and come hear that one. And um, there are plenty of things to lament. There are plenty of things to just be honest and, and mourn. Uh, there, right now in our country, you know, we have a hurricane um, in the southeast. We have fires in the northwest, and I mean, we, have, we have people this morning who are in fear of deportation. I mean, all sorts of really difficult things happening in our country. And the people of faith, we're honest about these things. Uh, we're honest about the realities, but we are also people who speak words and who enact joy, are ambassadors of joy, even in the middle of tough things. And so that's what we want to talk about this morning. What does joy look like. Now this series, for those of you, this might be your first week here, uh, we're in a series called Beats, Finding the Message in the Music, where we're, for four weeks, we're using music that you may hear on the radio. Some of these songs you'll be familiar with, some you probably won't be. This morning, I would guess many of you are familiar with the song. Um, and so you got to wait just a couple of minutes for that. But uh, we're using these, these songs as a springboard to talk about life with God, talk about the spiritual life. And Maybe some of you are like me, and you grew up in a religious system that said, hey, the world is really full of, um, the world is broken down into two categories. There is the sacred category and the secular category. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Like, there is this divide in life. There is a sacred part of life. Um, So I go to worship Sundays. I, maybe I'm a part of a small group, a missional community of some kind throughout the week. Uh, I pray I read my Bible and study Scripture, and that's kind of the sacred part of my life. But then the rest of my life, the normal stuff, uh, that's all secular. 
It's a secular part of my life. And this divide extends into um, other things, too, that we would say, like, well, no, these things are good and sanctioned, and those things are off limits. They're, they're bad things to avoid. That's secular over here. And the interesting thing about this is, like, we do this for certain things in life, but other areas of life, these categories don't fit. For example, we don't break construction into sacred and secular. If you work in construction, I was a plumber for three years. Nobody ever asked me, so is this sacred plumbing or secular plumbing you're installing in our home? (laughs) Nobody ever did. They walked into the bathroom and said, is this a sacred toilet? Secular toilet? How do I know? Um, We don't do that. We We don't say, hey, this is sacred architecture. That is secular architecture. Or that is sacred law and this is secular law. Like we just don't, those categories don't seem to fit. If you're an engineer, nobody ever asks you that. Is this sacred engineering or secular engineering? And so what we tend to reserve these categories for are the arts, specifically music. Is it sacred music or secular music? And one of the reasons why I think that is is because we understand the power music has. I mean, music can move us like my plumbing never could. <laughs> nobody, was, nobody was ever moved to tears by like, oh man, this plumbing is a masterpiece. Right? As far as I know, that never happened. But music, on the other hand, does. It often sneaks past our defenses. And it just sort of it, it, it hits us at an emotional level that maybe we weren't even prepared for. I, I have these memories as a kid of, you know, five, six, seven, eight years old, of going down into my basement. And uh, if you had a basement growing up, you can, you can smell your basement. You know, every basement has its own unique smell. So I would go down into the basement, and I could, I'm going to tell you what it looked like, tell you what it smelled like. And at the bottom of the stairs, there was this giant invention, this, this big chest, this big box. And it wasn't super ornate, but it had a lid on it. And, and in my mind, this thing is like the size of a sofa. And, you know, as a kid, things are always bigger. Now you go back and look at it, it's like, well, that's not at all impressive. But this thing was massive. And I'd open the lid on it, and there was this whole other world inside. Um, there was this record player. And my parents' record collection was in there. So you pull out the records, the vinyl, put it on, put the needle on, and you listen to this music. Or there was a, there was a, a separate portion of it that was for eight tracks. And, then, uh, and I can't remember if there was another one or if, it, if the, the one for records actually worked for these 45s. Remember the 45s? They were like half the size of the big vinyl records. And so as a kid, I would, just, I would go downstairs when I was bored, and I would just get lost in this music, hours and hours and hours of listening to music. This is my first exposure to Simon and Garfunkel and um, Johnny Cash and Waylon Jennings and all of these, like, these, these songs that just, and I could, honestly, I could sing you. I won't, um, but I could, these lyrics are still stuck in my brain because music, it, it's powerful. It moves us. It taught me an appreciation for, for melodies and rhythm. And again, I didn't get much rhythm, but I appreciate it. And um, music can, can move us and create memories that the few other things can. And music sticks with us long after other parts of our life have vanished. Uh, many of you know Howard Wagler, who's our lead pastor. He's been on sabbatical for um, almost three months now. He's coming back uh, next week. And um, Howard's dad, at the end of his life, suffered from dementia. And they were a very musical family, always like, you know, playing instruments and singing together. And Howard's dad played the, gu- the guitar and the harmonica. 
But dementia at the end of his life robbed him of so many joys in life, robbed him of his ability to recognize his kids and um, his family, robbed him of the ability to have conversations. But they would sometimes, when the family got together, they'd put a harmonica in his hands and he would look at it like it was from Mars, like he had never held one before, like he just, what is this thing? But then they would start to play a familiar tune. And he would just instinctively put the harmonica to his lips and start playing along like he never missed a beat. Like it connected with him, this, this part of him that wasn't touched by dementia. And so music has this power, and I think we recognize that power, and so we say, well, there is sacred music and there is secular music. And, and here's the thing. Like I don't think those divisions are helpful. Because if we're honest, I think, well, I, I think a better distinction would be there is good art and there's bad art. And if we're really honest, there is, there is art that is not overtly Christian. There is music that is not overtly Christian that is good, that it's meaningful, that it, it calls out the very best in people. And there is music that is overtly Christian that is bad. I mean, let's be honest, that sometimes it's just kind of a cheap imitation of other stuff. And it's simplistic, and it's not real, and it's not honest. Um, and so there is good art and there is bad art. And I think we would do well not to just create a sacred-secular divide, but to bridge that divide and say, is this good or is this bad? And we also need to be honest to say that there is, there is some music and there is some art that we would do best to avoid, right? Because it's, it's, it's vulgar and it's damaging and it actually doesn't pull out the best in us. It actually pulls out the worst in us. And so as people of faith, this is a much messier thing than to say, no, 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 that's not sanctioned, so stay away from that. It's much messier to say, like, how do we discern together, is this good, is this bad? And, and how do we resist those things that are, that are ugly? Does that make sense? And so that's why th- this series, I think, is helpful for us. Um, sometimes what can happen is if when we live with this, this harsh divide, all that's left for us in faith is just to kind of to condemn and stand in judgment of everything we're against. John Steinbeck, in his, um, in his book, um, Grapes of Wrath, he paints this, this, this picture of these, um, he calls them Jesus lovers, who stand at a distance and watch this, uh, this California immigrant um, community square dance on a Saturday night. And his words are this, he says, and, and, and in the distance, the Jesus lovers sat with hard-condemning faces and watched the sin. The sin of square dancing. Now, where did John Steinbeck get this? It's because the church has often defaulted to this. To say, we're not going to wade into the messiness, we're just going to draw a hard line and we're going to stand in judgment. And I think we do Jesus a disservice by doing that. And so, um, this series is helping us bridge that divide. So, how many of you know there's a time to dance? Come on. I've seen some of you get your swerve on. Uh, Impressive. So, uh, Solomon, in all his wisdom, says this in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 4. We're just going to cover a bunch of scriptures here fairly quickly. Um, Solomon, Ecclesiastes 3, 4, says there is a time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to boogie. Um, This is my translation. Jeremiah, the prophet, uh, Jeremiah was known as a weeping prophet because of all the hardship he endured personally, all the judgment he sort of prophesied for his people. It was a prophet at a really difficult time when Israel had rejected Yahweh and, and all sorts of injustice that they had, had um, 
perpetrated it, and so he's, he's, he's pronouncing these, these harsh, harsh prophecies of judgment, and yet there's Jeremiah chapter 30 to 34 is this prophecy of hope and restoration, and he says, like, so, so despair doesn't have the last word. Pain doesn't have the last word. God is going to restore your fortunes. He's going to bring hope. And here's how he envisions what happens when God does this. It says, then the young women will dance and be glad, the young men and old as well. I will turn their mourning into gladness. I will give them comfort and joy instead of sorrow. When Jeremiah envisions restoration, he envisions dancing. Now, real quickly, this is in your Bibles. You can look this up. I'm not making this up. Who's left out of the dancing? The old women. What's up with that? Maybe, like in the kingdom of God, there are no old women. You're only as old as you feel, so everybody's a young woman. Uh, No old women dancing. I don't know. Take it up with Jeremiah and I mean. So, um, Psalm Psalm 149, Psalm 150, the last two Psalms in, in the book of Psalms. Um, talk about this. This is euphoric celebration. Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song. His praise in the assembly of His faithful people. Let Israel rejoice in their Maker. Let the people of Zion be glad in their King. Let them praise His name with dancing and make music to Him with timbrel and harp for the Lord takes delight in His people. He crowns the humble with victory. The faithful people rejoice in His honor and sing for joy even on their beds. Psalm 150, the last psalm. Praise the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty heavens. Praise Him for His acts of power. Praise Him for His surpassing greatness. Praise Him with the sounding of the trumpet. This is one thing we're missing on the worship team is the trumpet. Come on. Um, Trumpet players, we need you. Praise Him with the harp and lyre. Praise Him with the timbrel and with dancing. Praise Him with strings and pipe. Praise Him with the clash of cymbals. Praise Him with the resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. And all God's people said, praise the Lord. Okay, sorry, I messed that one up. It's usually amen. This one's praise the Lord. Um, Throughout the scriptures, we see God's people dancing. Exodus 15, when the people come out of slavery, God delivers them out of the uh, oppression of the empire in Egypt and leads them through the Red Sea and the Egyptian army is washed away. They're standing on the far shore of the the Red Sea, free from their oppression, free to be God's people, to worship Him. And what happens? They break out in dancing. Miriam picks up her tambourine and leads them in worship and dancing. So, God's people, uh, all throughout the Scriptures, we have this call that dancing can be a part of our life with God. And to maybe remind us of things we've forgotten, here's a song by Justin Timberlake called Can't Stop the Feeling. So, enjoy. I got this feeling inside my bones It goes electric, baby, when I turn it on All through my city, all through my home We're flying up, no ceiling when we in our zone I got that sunshine in my pocket Got that good soul in my feet I feel that hot blood in my body When it drops, ooh I can't take my eyes off of it Moving so phenomenally Come on, like the way we rock it So don't stop Just imagine, just imagine 
dance moves so after the service you guys want to I think the youth group had kind of learned some of those so we can we can put that on display afterward uh, sometimes people ask me questions hey uh, can Mennonites dance and my answer is always the same some can and some can't uh, it's very clear time will tell time will tell you know one of the things that happens uh, in, in our worship sometimes is like we can tend to worship God from the shoulders up like, how do we worship? We worship with our voices, we worship with our heads, and our faith is kind of in our heads, our minds. And it's good, because the scriptures say, um, love the Lord your God with all of your mind. But that's not where it stops. It says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. So we can, we can worship God uh, with our, sort of like this small percentage of our body, our heads, and we can save like sort of the rest of our bodies, like the joy that sort of gets expressed, we can save it for other things in life, like football games. Like when the Chiefs beat, who did they beat? Somebody, right? Like, there's some, there's some joy that comes out when that happens, right? And that's totally cool, unless you're a Steelers fan. Then, like, I talked about these ugly things earlier, like, stay away from the ugliness of Steelers. Sorry. He looked at me with this Steelers jersey on. Um, 
Like Cleveland Indians has won 17 games in a row. That makes me excited. Like there's some joy that like gets expressed, right, when I, when I see this happen. And so what can happen is like we, like in worship, like we give God this part of our bodies, but the rest of our bodies um, we sort of put on reserve for other things. And that's where joy gets expressed in other ways. And that's not wrong to express joy in those places, but I think God would love to see the rest of our bodies get used in worship as well. Um, how many of you know that if all the Mennonites around the world were in one room, or it'd be a very big room, by the way, um, were in one place, one in seven of us would be Ethiopian. One in seven. Um, and very soon, the majority of Mennonites will be in the global south. Now, how many of you know that if we were in Ethiopia this morning and in a worship service, it would feel very different than a worship service here? And there is something we can learn who tend to worship God with this small part of our body. We can learn from our brothers and sisters around the world who, who just express joy. When I was a kid, I was about uh, 15, 16, and I, again, growing up in this culture where it's like, here's the divide, and it felt to me, and it, it wasn't true, but it was the way I felt, and maybe some of you have felt or are feeling the same way, that I had to make a choice between faith or fun. I'd either choose Jesus, and if I chose Jesus, all these other things were kind of off limits, and it seemed to me like fun was off limits. And, and faith was going to end up just being kind of this like stoic, very solemn, almost prudish kind of faith. And at that point in my life, um, realizing uh, my friends are having fun and I can choose Jesus and I'm probably leaning toward fun. Right? I'm in that 15, 16 stage where it felt like I had to make a choice. And I'm so thankful that I met these, these guys who were a few years older than me. They were maybe some two, some four years older than me. And I met them at a summer camp. And these guys were certifiably nuts. I mean, they were crazy and are still crazy. Still friends with many of them on Facebook and stuff. They're still crazy. And these guys showed me something that these two things are not opposites. You can, they, they were the most fun-loving people uh, I had ever met in my life up to that point. And now I met you. Um, so, you know, the most fun-loving people I'd ever met, and they loved Jesus more passionately than I had ever experienced before. And they embodied both of those things in a way that was so helpful for me to say you don't have to choose one or the other, that you can actually follow Jesus in a way that is full of joy and embraces the fullness of life. I think this is what God wants for us. Take a look in, in your Bibles in 2 Samuel chapter 6. There's this great story about King David, the dancing king. Dancing king. Um, dancing before his Abba. Some of you will get that. So, hey, some dance to remember, some dance to forget. So David, uh, 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 12. So David went to bring the ark of God up from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. So a little background, there's this, the ark of the covenant, which was the presence of God. This is, God was enthroned in the Old Testament between the wings of the cherubim. So uh, there were these two angels that sat on top of this ark, and God was like present there, most fully present there, the holy presence of God. And so David is bringing this ark of the covenant back to Jerusalem, to the city of David as it's called. And there's incredible joy, rejoicing of the people. Earlier it says that they were rejoicing with all of their strength. Verse 13 says, When those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, so like six steps, 
he sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. So he's like, hold it, six steps, that's enough, I gotta, I gotta sacrifice something. And that was their form of worship. Like there was just this overflow of worship from David. Verse 14, wearing a linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might. Dancing before the Lord with all his might. Verse 15, while he and all Israel were bringing the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sound of trumpets. As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michelle, the daughter of Saul, who was his wife, watched from a window. So she's, there's this whole celebration going on, and you get this picture of Michelle standing at a distance, sort of like, you know, condemning. What are you, what are you doing down there? Not entering into the celebration. And so... Um, When she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. They brought the ark of the Lord and they set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before the Lord. After he finished sacrificing the burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord Almighty. And then he gave, it's like he just has to do something else. So then he gave a loaf of bread How's that for a party gift? Uh, he gave them a loaf of bread and a cake of dates and a cake of raisins. A cake of raisins. To each person in the whole crowd of Israelites, both men and women, and all the people went to their homes. When David returned home to bless his household, Michelle, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, Hmm, how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, going around half naked in full view of the slave girls of his servants, as any vulgar fellow would. Uh, David couldn't stop the feeling, but Michelle certainly could. Um, so David said to Michelle, it was, it was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people. Uh, I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this, and I will be humiliated in my own eyes. But by these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in honor. So we have this picture of David with just kind of euphoric joy at what's happening, of the presence of God. Um, and he can't contain it. It just overflows from him. And, and I think this is a bit of a picture of, of what God wants to do in us. That, again, when the presence of God, which is no longer contained in an Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God that is now actually available in us when we surrender our lives to Jesus and God's presence that like set David dancing is actually taking up residence inside of us. And when that truth like sort of it, it moves from our heads like sort of into our fullness of life experience like sometimes joy just sort of erupts from inside of us. And, and David gives us this picture. Uh, St. Francis. How many of you have heard of St. Francis? St. Francis of Assisi. There's a story of him, um, and he just, he renounced wealth. He, he lived a life of, of, of simplicity and changed the world. I mean, just an amazing man of God. And St. Francis, there's this amazing story of him going to speak to the Pope. So there's this clash of worlds, right? This man of simplicity versus all like the sort of pomp and circumstance of being the Pope. And St. Francis comes up to him and he starts talking to him about Jesus. And says, St. Francis, like his biographer writes this, says he couldn't help but move his feet for joy. As he starts talking about Jesus, his Lord, the one who he lives the intimacy of life with, his feet just start moving because he can't stop the feeling. This is this beautiful picture of life with God. Um, Zephaniah chapter 3 verse 17 
Again, I just want to sort of draw our attention. I, I would love to have you go back, read these scriptures this next week, and, and just sort of meditate on them. We're just kind of drawing attention to him here this morning. Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17. Zephaniah is a prophet of hope. And he's prophesying hope to God's people. And here's what he says. The Lord your God is with you. Hear these words this morning. The Lord your God is with you, a mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. So there's these two images, like one of like this, the Lord is a mighty warrior to save you, to protect you. And then there's this very tender image, the Lord will rejoice over you with singing. Now what's interesting about this is the word rejoice, is the word gail. Everyone want to say gail? Right? We use our bodies, right? Gail, it comes from way down here. And the word rejoice, gail, literally means to spin round. The Lord, your God, will spin round over you with singing. I remember like when my kids were little and they would be colicky in the middle of the night. After Carmen gave me a sharp elbow in the ribs, I would wake up and go pick up the screaming child. <laughs> that was good. That was on cue. That was perfect. Screaming child. And pick, pick the child up. And, and kind of hold either him or her close to my chest. And we just start to sing to sort of quiet them down. And as, you know, you sing, you, you kind of start to move. You kind of start to bounce. And you kind of start to spin just to calm this child. And this is a picture Zephaniah paints, that the Lord your God is with you. He will rejoice. He will spin round with you with singing. Is this how you experience life with God? It's one of these pictures of, of just the intimacy of, of, of life with your Creator, with, with your Lord, the one who redeems us. I mean, it is, it's beautiful. Our bodies are an important part of our life with God. God wants to redeem our, our physical bodies. He, he wants to use our physical bodies to enhance our experience with Him. And, and Dallas Willard talks about our bodies as a power pack of discipleship. That your body uh, can be useful in transforming your life with God. And for example, in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, it says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Uh, true and proper worship is not just with your mind. He could have said, uh, Paul could have said, hey, in view of God's mercy, offer your minds, offer your souls to God. But he says this, offer your bodies to God as a living sacrifice. And so sometimes joy as a fruit of the Spirit comes to us. God just like, God fills us with joy and our bodies just move and respond. Like sometimes you can be so overcome, you just, you have to dance, you have to move, you have to shout, you have to do something to express it because joy is this gift from God that comes to us and we have to express it, right? Does that make sense? But sometimes we actually get to use our bodies to enter into joy. Like we're told throughout the scriptures to rejoice, and sometimes our bodies can be helpful in like helping us experience what we're not yet experiencing. Sometimes to raise our hands, like in worship, is this, is this symbol of just like receptivity to God. And, and our bodies get to enhance the experience of worship by, by choosing to take joy. We do all sorts of these practices. Um, 
Baptism. We had a baptism. Tyler Estrella was baptized in second service. And so uh, Tyler, we have a little bit of a bio here, um, just so you can see Tyler. He's a sixth grader at Central Christian. He's 11 years old. He has three brothers, a dog, a cat, a rabbit, a fish. He enjoys camping, playing basketball, watching football, and cheering on the Oklahoma City Thunder. His favorite verse is Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. It's a beautiful celebration. And baptism is one of those things that we participate in where our bodies lead us in the experience of God. Like, if you were baptized, um, baptism is this amazing symbol of forgiveness and cleansing. And our bodies experience it. Whether we are baptized by immersion, we're plunged into the water. And it's a symbol of our sin being washed away and rising up out of the water and born to new life. Or whether you knelt and somebody poured water over you and you knelt as a symbol of submission, giving your life away to God and the water being poured over you as a symbol of cleansing and forgiveness that Jesus offers. Baptism is one of the ways we're, we're called as followers of Jesus to have this symbol that, that marks our new life in Christ. Jesus said this in, in Matthew 28, um, verse, uh, do I have next slide there? Matthew 28, 19, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Baptism is this, this marker of faith, and our bodies and our spirits are in, um, are in this thing together. Baptism is a symbol of forgiveness and cleansing that Jesus offers. There was baptism in the Old Testament, and they would do baptism regularly. Whenever you were unclean, uh, for whatever reason, you would, you would get washed, you would get baptized. And at the time you got baptized, you had to make sacrifices. So baptism was for cleansing, sacrifices were the forgiveness of sins. So when Jesus says, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, this is incredibly irreligious. Because he's saying your cleansing and your forgiveness is in one event, in Jesus Christ. You are, you are baptized into the name of Jesus. And it's for forgiveness and cleansing, this expression of that. Baptism in Acts, it engages our body to remind our spirit of what God is doing inside of us. If you were baptized, you have a memory of either the water being poured over you or going under the water, and you create this memory that, that stays with you, that holds you, even in times when it doesn't feel that way. Baptism is a sign of faith to believers. Uh, a sign of faith of believers is a sign of God's cleansing and a pledge of their faith to be followers of Jesus. Um, baptism in the New Testament is always a sign of the faith of the person being baptized. Um, baptism is never a sign of somebody else's faith for us. Like some of us were baptized as children, potentially, and that is a, is a, is a meaningful practice, is a practice of the church, and there are certain traditions who, who practice that. Um, but I think as we look at the New Testament, what we have to realize is that baptism as a child, and the reason we don't practice infant baptism, we do dedications, we do blessings and things like that, is because baptism as a child says much more about the faith of the parents than it does the faith of the child. And so I would want to encourage you, if you have been baptized as a child or if you have never been baptized, that, that this is a, a step of obedience of saying, but now I, I have faith and I believe and I want to be marked as a disciple of Jesus. It is this, this amazing practice. Um, and it is also a sign of welcome into the community of Christ. There is no record of anyone ever baptizing themselves in the New Testament. 
Like, let's say you're, like, in the bathtub, and you have a conversion experience, and you're just like, whoop, done! Yes! It's awesome. It's efficient. Um, that's, that's not how it works, because somebody else, a representative from the church, not always a pastor, but somebody from the church, they're, they're receiving you into the body of Christ, the family of God. So that's what baptism is, and it's one of these ways that our bodies get used in worship. And so, um, I, I want to encourage you, if you've never been baptized, we're having a Next Steps class that's starting in a couple of weeks, um, October um, 2nd, 9th, 16th. This is just kind of our, like, entrance into the, the family of God where we talk about the, the, what it means to be a follower of Jesus, to be a disciple. And so we'd love to have you, um, have you sign up for that if you, if you are interested. So, what do we do with this? How do we... How do we how do we enact joy? Uh, last Sunday, Carmen's on the way home from church, and we always go up Adam Street on the way home. And there's like, she's like the only car on Adam Street, which is kind of unusual. And there's this guy with huge headphones on walking across the street at like Fifth and Adams. And he's just like in his own little world, like checks to make sure there's no traffic coming, but starts dancing his way across the street. And gets into, like, the center turning, and she's like, oh, man, I wish I could have got my phone out in time, but it, by the time I was there, it was, it was done. He was gone. Gets into the center turning lane, um, looks to make sure nobody's coming, and moonwalks, which I can't do, but it'd be sweet. Moonwalks his way across the other lane of traffic. And for her, it's just like, she starts smiling. Like, it's just, this is fun. Here's somebody who's just enjoying life. What if the people of God were known as those people? Those people who found the beauty, who found the joy in the simple things of life, who had this infectious joy. So in our house, we have this practice. We, we put on a song like Can't Stop the Feeling, and we crank it to 11, and we just dance like nobody cares. And so we want to invite you, the Journey family, to do the same thing. Your assignment for today is to have a dance-off. Um, to, to put some music on, close your eyes, who cares? And you can take a video of yourself if you want to, and you can post it on social media with the hashtag Journey Dance Party because we want to be people of joy. God, thank you for the joy of the Holy Spirit that you have given to us. Thank you for the goodness of life, the goodness of life with you, God. God, we give you our bodies from head to toe. God, every part of us, we are no longer ours. We have been bought with a price. We belong to you. And so, God, help us to honor you with our bodies. God, we want to find the goodness, the beauty, the joy everywhere. God, we pray that we would be people who are so full of joy, just like St. Francis that just couldn't help but move his feet when we thought of you and he talked about you, that we would be that same kind of people. And God, I pray for those of us in here who have never said yes to you, who have never received the gift of salvation, who have never received forgiveness, who have never received cleansing, and who have never received the gift of your holy presence living on the inside. God, I pray that even in this moment, your spirit would just be speaking to us. God, that you would sneak past our defenses. And God, that we would come to a place of surrender to you. God, that you would fill us with the joy and the goodness of your love and your life. God, I pray that we'd have the courage to respond, to take this step of, of complete surrender, this step of, of baptism that symbolizes our surrender to you and our decision to be a disciple of yours. God, just be moving in our hearts as we continue to celebrate today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.